Good morning, church. Good to see so many faces. Good morning, online campus. I don't know if you guys know this. Every week we have over 100 people, uh, sometimes over 200 people join us uh, in our online campus. We've got a number of people live right now, and a lot of people watch replay. And so I know some of you guys watch replay uh, during the week. Because Pastor Jeff, you're just like, man, that was so good. I need to hear that again. So uh, I just want to say welcome to our online campus. And if you're in person, man, you are the frozen chosen. You guys made it. You got here. That's so good. We finally get winter, like Kayla said. And uh, some of us are happy. You can tell who, whose prayers affect God more. Uh, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kind of. Oh, man. But uh, I'll say this. I'm not big into mountain climbing. I have a few friends. Are anybody here into climbing, like rock climbing, bouldering, uh, mountain climbing? A few of you guys are. I know a few people who are, but even though I'm not big into participating in it, I do find the sport fairly interesting to casually observe. Uh, So I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the most important part of mountain climbing? Most important thing to do, most important aspect of mountain climbing? Is it your physical strength and like your forearm strength? Is it maybe having the best and safest equipment? Uh, Is it even like the the training that you receive to climb and to prepare to get up on the mountain? Uh, There's a famous mountain climber by the name of Royal Robbins. He died recently. Um, According to him, it's not any of those things. It's actually the ability just to see things as they really are. It is so key, he says, in mountain climbing. Here's a quote from him. He says, If we are keenly alert and aware of the rock and what we're doing on it, if we are honest with ourselves and our capabilities and our weaknesses, if we avoid committing ourselves beyond what we know is safe, then we will climb safely. For climbing is an exercise in reality. He who sees it clearly is on safe ground, regardless of his experience or skill. But he who sees reality as he would like it to be may have his illusions rudely stripped from his eyes when the ground comes up fast. I thought that was really well said. Climbing is an exercise in reality. That statement, I think, is important to unlock a very important principle for life. That wise people resist seeing life as they want it to be as they would like to see it. They're honest with themselves about their abilities, about their weaknesses. Uh, And this applies to a lot of things in life, but I think nowhere is it more powerful than when it comes to matters of faith. I love how Pastor Kent Hughes applies this to our life as believers. He says, real faith is an exercise in reality. Right? It's It's not an exercise in amazing willpower or incredible devotion It's not about the size or the strength or the intensity of your belief. It's about the object of your faith, right? I I can have all the, the willpower and the desire to believe something, and if it does not exist, it will not hold me up. right? I I can have all the willpower to imagine that there is a seat right here, and I believe it super hard. And I'm so sincere in my belief about the chair that is right here. What happens when I go to sit on it? Right? And yet every single week, you got a drummer. This morning, Bill came over here and he sat on this seat. 
And you could have just the tiniest shred of faith or belief. All you need to do is sit on it, and all of a sudden, the object of your faith holds you up. Biblical belief, biblical faith is not about how strong you believe something. It's about the object of your faith. And so faith is an exercise in reality. Right? It doesn't matter how sincerely you believe something. It matters what you believe in. Um, and, and so as we approach the Word of God, we see that biblical belief is actually steadfastly fixed on Jesus, who's the author of reality, who is the realest thing there is. This is the kind of faith that gets his attention, that takes him seriously and relies on him. Or you could say it this way, and this will be my main point today. So if you're taking notes, this is the thing to write down. Biblical belief, uh, I'm sorry, belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. Belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. And just full disclosure, I could have said faith. I meant faith. Belief and faith are very similar. Belief is just alliterated with bow. (laughs) It's just to start with the same letter. So, um... (laughs) Full disclosure, I'm talking about faith when I say belief. In this message, I'm going to use those synonymously. Uh, but belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. It will not be your correct doctrine, your strict devotion, or even your 73 spiritual activities that impress God. Um, it's a posture of submitting yourself in humility to Jesus as sovereign Lord. That's what gets his admiration. That's what gets his attention. Okay? Belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is somebody who encounters that reality about Jesus in a very powerful way. We're, if, if you're new with us this morning, um, what we've been doing is we've been going through the New Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've been going through the New Testament and looking at people who had close encounters with Jesus. And then observing what, what's the thing that stands out in that. What's, what's, what do we need to learn about that? What do we need to actually experience as a result? How can we have our own close encounter with Jesus? And this morning we're going to see somebody who had a powerful uh, encounter with Jesus and experienced the reality of, of what, what faith is all about. Okay, So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, that's where we're going to be camping out this morning, verses 1 through 9 or 10. Um, and, and then if you're able to, I'd encourage you to stand up. We're going to read God's Word together um, as we start off this morning. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start with the first five verses here. It goes like this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would encounter us today. I know that there are some people here this morning 
who look like they have it together on the outside, but would admit that on the inside they're falling apart. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's a life scenario that has gotten out of control and it feels so hopeless. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us today the power you have over our scenario, the authority you have in our lives, and the care you have for every small detail. I pray that you would encounter us today in a really powerful way, Jesus. As we open your word, please speak to us. Amen. You can have a seat. As I was uh, studying this week, I was very interested to get into the mind and the life of the centurion, because I wanted to see what, what about this guy's faith stands apart. Um, and as I began to understand his vantage point, his values, his virtue, um, I began to understand, like, what did Jesus see in this guy's faith? What did Jesus see in this guy's faith? Because he goes on, and we're going to get to this later, but basically Jesus was amazed. There was something about the way that this guy believed that actually impressed Jesus. What was it? Because his his belief amazed Jesus when he did something. And the first thing that, as I was just trying to get into his mind and into his life and understand him a little bit, I... I began to see from his vantage point, his, his perspective in his life and his career. What do we know about this guy? Verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. So he's a Roman centurion. He's a Roman officer. The word is centurion. And he's stationed in Capernaum. This is going to be kind of significant to highlight what his faith kind of points us to here. So, first of all, he's a centurion. He would have been right in the middle of the chain of command of a Roman cohort legion. Okay? So this was one of the key military fighting units in the Roman army. During this time, a legion meant you had about five or 6,000 soldiers in it. And it was divided into several different cohorts. So you can see this, that line going up and down, those are, that's a cohort. So cohort one, two, three, four, all the way to the 10th cohort, okay? And each cohort had a century in it. Now don't be deceived by the Latin term century. That should mean 100. It only means 80 in this particular instance. But a century was 80 soldiers, and so a centurion was over those 80 soldiers, right? So what do we know about this guy right away? He finds himself right in the middle of the chain of command. He's over people, and he's under people. To be in this position, you did not become a centurion until you had done active duty for like 10 or 15 years, okay? So he's very disciplined. He's dedicated, he's an organized man, he understands the chain of command. It, this kind of a structure, a word from your superior carries a lot of weight, right? So he's under the command of the leader of the cohort, who's under the command of the leader of the entire legion. A word from your superior carries a lot of weight, so regardless of whether you understand what is being said... You do what you're told. You get your unit to follow suit. You trust that the person in command knows way more about and has a greater perspective on this particular thing than you do. Right? That's the vantage point of the centurion. Now, do you remember where he's stationed? 
in Capernaum. So here's a map of where, what Capernaum, where it's situated in Israel. This is the northern part of Israel. Not the capital. Not a, not a big time city in that sense. Other than this, there's a big trade route that goes right through it. The short version is there's a lot of people traveling through. Um, they have a tax, a Roman tax um, office there. So where you have lots of money traveling and moving through, you need a military presence to keep order. Okay, here's the point. Busy highway, lots of traffic, lots of money surrounding um, this, this town of Capernaum. So this guy's a centurion. He's in charge of 80 men. He's stationed in a small, important town called Capernaum. But this is where we begin to get a glimpse of not just his vantage point, but his virtue. Because this guy was different. This guy was not like a normal Roman centurion. You can see that in the reaction of the Jewish elders. They don't talk about, they talk about him in a way that he's different. He's like, no, 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 this guy stands out. Because you need to get this, he represents the occupying force that has taken control of their whole country. And, and his men are responsible for keeping peace at this international highway junction. But while he's here, he does way more than just impose the force of his organization. Now, he's genuinely working for the good of this people in Capernaum. Right? Verse 3, when the officers heard about Jesus, when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to come and ask him to heal the slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man and this is what they said. If anyone deserves your help, he does. Why? He loves us. He built us a synagogue, a place of worship. This is really important. You've got to help this guy. He, he's not like every other Roman officer. He, he loves his own servants. He takes care of our people. And, and when we were needing to build a synagogue in our area and we're passing the hat around, this guy threw down a big fat check. He practically built a synagogue. And you've got to understand, this is not an easy reputation to build. He's in a very challenging socioeconomic complex scenario. Because he's still got to do his job. Right? R Roman officers had an immense amount of negative opinion to overcome in any scenario, let alone to get a good reputation. Because right? Ro Romans were the bullies of Israel. They were the image of everything that had gone wrong in, in their country. When Jews would talk about the Romans, there was a, 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 a disgusting disdain in their mouth. So the Jewish elders come to Jesus and they're like, no, no, no. This guy actually cares for us. If anyone deserves your attention, this guy deserves it. I'm just blown away because, like, how long does a reputation like that take to build? It took as long as trust takes to earn. It happened slowly. It happened at the pace of relationship with God's people. This is amazing. He had somehow managed to do his work for the Roman military and, at the same time, win the hearts of Jews in Capernaum. So they're begging him, oh, please, please come and heal this guy's servant. This is one of the good ones. So, so Jesus, verse 6, Jesus went with them. But just before they get to his house, there's another group of people who were friends of the Roman officer. 
And they go out to him, and they're bringing another message, a message that the Roman officer had, all, had sent. Don't come. Stop. Don't come. And I'm just like, uh, if I'm in that moment, did, did the servant die? No. Is he better? No. What's, what's going on? Why, why, why are we stopping Jesus? Let's get him here. And this is where the story begins to show us the guy's viewpoint. So we've seen his vantage point. We understand kind of the context he's coming from. We see his virtue and the, the heart that he has for the people and the reputation he's built. But this is where it becomes very important. We see his faith. We see what he sees. We see his viewpoint. Verse 6. But just before they arrived... The friends come and say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. I'm not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Remember the group of Jewish elders who come to Jesus and say, this guy deserves your attention. This guy deserves your help. The Roman centurion is saying, you know something, they're actually wrong. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't deserve anything from you, Jesus. I don't even deserve for you to come past the threshold of my house or into my living room. My home does not deserve the honor of your powerful, authoritative presence. And here's the key. He could see something that God's people could not even see. His, his viewpoint was unique. He, he could see reality in this moment. Remember, faith is simply an exercise in reality. And in this powerful moment, the reality that the Roman officer encounters is that Jesus has total authority over everything. He's like, Jesus, you're here and I'm here. And I get that. You don't, you're so glorious, you shouldn't even be in my home. And he gets it. He gets it. He recognizes the absolute authority in his place below that in a way that God's chosen people didn't even get. Because he's thinking, man, if Jesus has, he's hearing all these stories, right? Jesus is from this area. So people are talking about their hometown boy. He's hearing all these things. Jesus has authority over the waters, which had happened right there on that Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is right on the sea. He has his power over disease. Demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of Majesty. Like he's hearing these things, and he's like, if this, if this kind of power from God Almighty is with this man, I, I do not deserve him to be around me. You're here, and I'm here. So he's humbled in total reverence. How in the world can I invite the power and the presence of God into my door and into my house? I don't deserve this. If what they're saying about him is true, he is above me, and not just a little. He is far above me. This is why I say belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. This is what this guy is doing. He's like, 
I am in no position to command you. I am in no position to tell you what to do. I know what you're capable of. I am humbly relying on you. I am beseeching you. I, I, I have confidence that you can do this, and I just need you. What this Roman centurion encountered is the total authority of Jesus. The positional and influential power he has. And Jesus is amazed. Look at this, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. It's the only time Jesus is impressed with the human. He was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't even seen faith like this in all Israel. Faith like this. Faith like what? Faith like what? Because of his viewpoint, this centurion lived out a faith. And you, we can see this. Verses 2 through 5, this guy helped God's people. He recognized there was something special here that was worth giving to. Number 2, he had confidence in God's provision. If you look at verses 3 to 5, I'm in no position to command you, but I know you can provide, and I need your help. I'm going to rely on you because I have confidence that you can provide. And the third thing that this guy did, faith like what? He honored God's son. He helped God's people. He had confidence in God's provision, and he honored God's son. Belief that amazes Jesus bows to the authority of Jesus. And if Jesus is amazed at faith like this back then, can I promise you he's still amazed at faith like this today? So what does this kind of belief look like in our lives? How, how do we live with a belief and a faith that still amazes Jesus? I want to give you three things that you can do. Number one, it's to help God's people. You're like, wait, I've heard this before. Number two, it's to have confidence in God's provision. And number three, it's to honor God's son. Belief that amazes Jesus helps God's people. See, people with amazing faith have this habit of serving others, loving others by the way they serve them, especially other believers. Just imagine you're on the outside of a group and they're trying to get you to join the group, but they all hate each other. What's going to happen to you once you join that group? <laughs> right? One of the greatest testimonies of the dynamic power that God has is the love that believers have for each other. It's, it's attractive, it's, it's drawing, it's winsome. And you of all people would understand. Christians of all people should understand. Some of the other Christians we interact with are not that fun. Some are awesome. And you're like, you get it. That's why I say it's an amazing testimony of what God can do when believers love each other. Amen? Faith that amazes Jesus helps God's people. When they see a need, what do they do? They meet it. It's just instinctive. And when they don't see a need, what do they do? They look for one and then they meet it. Like this is, this is faith that impresses Jesus. So I have to ask, what does your faith look like? How do your beliefs translate into actions? I love going out with people to a restaurant and all the wait staff sees us praying 
And we don't have to say anything. But when we leave with a big tip, our belief translated into action. Right? I, I love when I, when I go out and it's like you see somebody um, and they're wearing some sort of Christian thing or you know that they go to church or you see a cross around their neck and um, the cashier is getting kind of riddled out by the person in front of them and then they come in and bring an atmosphere of peace and they're super nice and they're complimentary and they're helpful and you're like, man, this is what it would be like when Jesus is checking out at the grocery store. When, when we see belief translate into action, that's what Jesus wants to see, right? So what are you doing with your time and your talents and your treasure that God has given you to care for other people and meet their needs. Belief that amazes Jesus helps other people, but it does another thing. It has confidence in God's provision. So it, has, it helps God's people and, and helps people in general. And that goes beyond just God's people. But then it has confidence in God's provision. See, it's not really faith until you put your position, yourself in a position where you're fully relying on God to come through for you. Where you're stepping into this scenario and you're like, I... I'm pretty sure God led me here. I, I know I've got a word from the Lord. I know that the word of God says this, but I, this seems impossible. This seems hard. This seems undesirable. You're going to have to come through for me, God, because I'm stepping out in faith. And when you do that, God loves coming through. God loves demonstrating that He has the capacity to sustain you. He has the capacity to provide for you. What we see in Luke 7 is not just a guy who heard about or, or even just agreed with the news about this Jesus guy. He does more than that. He relies on Him for help. He pleads with Him for help. He takes action to reach out to Jesus and rely on Him. See, biblical belief takes what you know to be true and puts it into action. Like, what, are you, what am I doing that won't work unless God comes through for me? What part of my life does not make sense unless God proves himself reliable? Some of you guys are in a season right now where you're like, I'm really struggling. I... I, I, I I'm pretty sure I was led to this point, but what I see in front of me, the circumstances around me don't seem to make sense. Faith that impresses Jesus says, no, no, no. I have more faith in the one outside of my circumstance than the things inside of my circumstance. My belief is founded not what I can see around me, but what I've been told by him who is above me. That's where you have faith. The Christian life is more than just agreeing with facts. And sure, you have to do that. There are certain things we believe, right? And faith starts by hearing something and choosing to believe it and agree with it. But, but it does more than that. That's not the full picture. The excitement of a life lived for Jesus is on the other side of faith. If everything in your Christian life has made sense up until this point, I can promise you it probably hasn't been very exciting. The, the, the joy, the beauty, the wonder of a life lived for Jesus is on the other side of faith. Okay, Jesus, I trust what you said. I believe you. Therefore, I'm going to do and fill in the blank, even though it doesn't always seem to add up. It doesn't seem to always make sense. I heard a preacher say it this way. I really liked what he said. He said, 
my great faith is going to be manifested in this world with a great surrender in your direction. A great surrender in God's direction. Belief that amazes Jesus has confidence in God's provision. And belief that amazes Jesus honors God's Son. Knowing about Jesus is one thing. Having correct theology is one thing, but it won't save you. Recognizing his authority and submitting to him is different, right? The, the demons have correct theology, right? Think about that. They were there. They saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They've seen the spiritual world. They've seen the power of Jesus cast them out of pigs. They've seen it all way more than you have. They know more about the Bible than you do. Than I do. They know all the right things about Jesus, but that's not going to get them to heaven. Amen? It's the recognition of his power and the submission to his authority and yielding to him in a position as Lord over your life. That's where faith becomes amazing to Jesus. So can I ask you this? How are you bending the knee to God? How are you bending the knee to Jesus Christ in your life? What are you doing that demonstrates your posture of submission and surrender to him? Is he the commanding officer in your family? on your calendar, in your wallet, in your life goals? Or is he just like a backseat passenger? Is, is he the Lord of your life? Or is he just the supervisor who checks in on you every Sunday morning? Belief that amazes Jesus does three things. It helps God's people, has confidence in God's provision, and honors God's son. So I want to challenge you with this. And usually you can tell the activity or the, the, the sincerity of, of what you believe based on where it shows up in your checkbook and on your calendar. It's a pretty practical way to look at what you actually think is most important. And so I want to challenge you with this to put each of those things somewhere on your calendar this week. Number one, you can help God's people by planning a way this week for you to serve other people, to love other people by serving them, right? Whether it's in a ministry here at church, and there's loads of those that need people who, who are loving Jesus and volunteering to serve. Maybe it's at a local pa food pantry like the Salvation Army. Maybe it's a local homeless shelter like the Nehemiah House, uh, Mary Margaret House. Maybe it's at a pregnancy resource center like the one in Petoskey. Uh, maybe there's a family with an illness or a new baby who might need a meal. And you can make a meal at home and sign up for a meal train and, um, and, and help that way. Maybe it's a friend or neighbor in your area who's struggling and has a need that needs to be met. But like faith that amazes Jesus serves people. That's what we do. We love others. That is a core value here at our church. Love is our lifestyle. We give to others out of what we've already received from Jesus. So, so belief that amazes Jesus uh, helps other people, helps God's people, and you can do that this week. The second thing you can do is you can have confidence in God's provision every morning. 
as you reach out to him in prayer, and maybe it's not every morning, maybe it's every evening, maybe it's both, right? you, in your prayer life, you're going to need structure and spontaneity. You need both. You need to be regularly disciplined with rhythms of prayer. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. It was a regular part of his life. And then there's other times you're like, I'm in the middle, I didn't plan for this, and I still need to pray. So you need structure and you need spontaneity. But I would say start with the structure. The spontaneity will come. Put that time on your calendar, on your, on your day planner, every day, and you show up for that appointment with the Lord. You might miss the appointment to the dentist. You might be late to church. You might be, uh, you miss a day at school, but like don't miss this appointment, right? And if you do, just don't miss two days. If you miss a day, there's grace. But show up to the appointment that you made with the Lord. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, wrote a book of the Bible. It's called James. And he says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church and come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Can I say this? Your faith grows and becomes more confident the more consistently you seek God. Why? Because you know what happens the more prayers you pray and pray consistently in your life? The more you pray, the more God answers prayer. The fewer prayers you have, the fewer there are to answer, right? And, and so it's amazing. The more you see God answer your prayers, the more confident you are to walk by faith because you've learned to trust the one who provides for you over and over and over and over again. You can have confidence in God's provision every day as you reach out to him in prayer. And third, you can honor God's son, how? By putting him in the highest priority in your life. Other than this time of the week, where does Jesus show up on your calendar? Hey fam, we're going we're gonna to honor Jesus. We're going to church today regardless of what Little League sports event showed up on our calendar. Hey, hey spouse, I'm going to give the first fruits of my income to God this month, despite how tight the budget feels at the moment. Hey, self, I'm going to commit to regular Bible study and prayer at this time every single day, even though I have a million things to do. You're, you're professing the authority and the glory of Jesus over everything in your life. You're humbling yourself and, and giving him total control and authority you're trusting him. When you ask for help, you're trusting him, and you're not going back to try to do his job for him. You're leaving it in his hands. Belief that amazes Jesus submits to the vows of the authority of Jesus, and then it consistently acts on that week in and week out. I want to ask you this. Have you bowed to the authority of Jesus? Maybe you did at one point in your life and you gave your life to Jesus and you said, I, I want to put my faith in you. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. I accept that. I receive that. God forgave your sin. He gave you a new life. And, and over time, it's just kind of like drifted a little bit. And you look back over the last 28 days of last four weeks of your life and you're like, man, I, I can't point to a total lot of times on my calendar where this statement would be true. And this is, this is a moment to bow again.
you started your Christian life down here. And you're here now, and you're like, come on, Jesus, just keep up. I would encourage you with this. I heard this at the men's conference yesterday. I wasn't planning to say this, but it just drilled me. Jesus never moved faster than three miles an hour. Man, I want to walk in rhythms that are alongside of Jesus, not ahead of him, not struggling behind him. I want to just be in pace with him. And oftentimes that looks like a lot of this. I bow to the authority of Jesus. And maybe you never have before. Like you know all the right things. You grew up in church. You're here this morning, and Sunday morning is a thing to do. You feel great about yourself because you impressed God just that you're here. And he loves that you're here, by the way. But you've never actually given full control over to him in your life. You've never submitted your life to him by faith. To say, I, I actually am a sinner. I've sinned against you, God, and, and I recognize that my sin has broken that relationship. And I know when, when Jesus died on the cross, God punished Jesus for all of my sin and all of your sin. And your record could be wiped clean and made new and be completely spotless simply by receiving what he did for you and then submitting to him as Lord. Jesus comes in as a friend, but he doesn't just stay a friend. Jesus comes in in this mind-blowing paradox of friend and Lord. The humility he has to see me and to see you and say, I call you friends. And yet the reality is still that he is divinely in control of everything. He is the Lord, I submit to him. I know my place. Belief that amazes Jesus, bows to the authority of Jesus. And, and maybe you need to do that today. You need to confess your sin to God and to receive what Jesus has done on your behalf to forgive your sin. And when he died and was buried and then rose again three days later, he rose to give you new life. A life that is completely surrendered to him. That's available to you today, and I encourage you to do business with God as we pray today. Jesus, we recognize we are in no position to tell you what to do. And, and yet there's a marvelous grand beauty and paradox in receiving the help that you so freely give the humility you have to come and be with us and to rescue us and to offer yourself for us. To assign such a high value to our lives that you would give your life in place of ours. Jesus, we're blown away with gratitude. I pray this morning for each one here who has encountered you in a, in a special way, who's heard you speak through your word this morning. I pray that each one of them would not leave before doing business with God and submitting ourselves, yielding ourselves and bowing at your feet in full surrender. Please reveal to us the ways in which you want to speak into our lives and, and transform us into your glorious image. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.